Hello and welcome to Wisdom, a dynamic podcast series unlike any other. Join me on this enlightening journey as we delve into captivating conversations with industry pioneers, colleagues, friends and extraordinary individuals from diverse backgrounds. Together we will explore the depths of wisdom encompassing both the realms of business and life beyond its confines. Wisdom is not your average podcast. It goes beyond the ordinary and emphasizes the transformative power of life experiences. In each episode, we will embark on freewheeling discussions, unearthing the valuable insights that every sphere of life has to offer. To never miss an episode, subscribe to Wisdom today and be a part of our growing community of wisdom seekers. Let's unlock the profound secrets of life together. Welcome to Wisdom. Hi, I'm your host Deepak Narayanan. In today's episode, I have the honor and privilege of having Mr. Sailesh Haribakti, fondly known as Sailesh Bai of Sailesh Haribakti and Associates. Mr. Haribakti is a chartered accountant, a cost accountant, an internal auditor, and a certified financial planner and fraud examiner. He is a board chairman, audit committee chair, and independent director at some of the country's most preeminent organizations: Blue Star, IBS FinTech, L&T Mutual Fund, Protean, EGov, Planet, People and Profit, YCWI Green Solutions, amongst others. He is a respected thought leader on the Indian economy and public policy. He is an ex-tech, which is Exponential Technologies, ESG. environmental social governance and ir integrated reporting evangelist he is also an author of two books the digital professional and audit renaissance sailesh bhai i can't tell you how honored we are to have you welcome to wisdom delighted to be here thank you thank you sailesh bhai let me first begin by asking you about your inspiration about your dad sailesh bhai i can't begin this conversation without asking you about him <laughs> founder of hari bhakti and co uh, was this the year 1950 if i recollect very true a, a past president of the icai um and growing up how was it seeing him build the firm well growing up we were seeing how busy he was how engaged he was with whoever we normally saw only in newspapers and in headlines and uh, so he was an absolutely awesome inspiring personality uh, and he you know made us feel so secure because i grew up knowing that if i had any question in any of my subjects he was bound to have the right answer <laughs> and that that kept me going learning from him on very few occasions actually because the way he motivated us and the way he created the channels for us to self develop we never needed to get him onto a table to actually answer questions but whenever we did he was right bang right and uh, it was amazing to get the right answers every time so that was dad a very inspiring personality great achiever person who was president of uh, institute president of indian merchants chamber president of his rotary club he did all of that with uh, with such grace and elan 
And so he inspired us to all achieve our potential. Yeah. And and what are some of the learnings uh, Sailesh by uh, from him? I mean, if you were to list down three, three top learnings from him and those that you have imbibed in your day-to-day life. Okay. Yes. So the first thing that he taught us is hard work never killed anybody. So that has gone deep into us. He, even today at age 94, comes to office every day and is perhaps the last to leave. So he taught us this completely permanent lesson of continuing to do hard work right until your last breath. So that to me is the big fundamental thing. The second value that he taught us is that you should want to exert yourself for your community. Whether it is chartered accountants or uh, the public or uh, the regulatory framework, wherever, whatever life puts you in touch with, have this motive to serve. Have this motive to give yourself completely. And that was the second lesson we learned from him. And the third and perhaps most important lesson was that walk into every space with your moral compass and with your moral capital. Then you'll be all right. Fantastic lessons, life lessons, as Ailesh I'm sure you continue to learn from him and uh, he continues to be an inspiration to all. I actually, uh, I think recently I saw a LinkedIn post of his. Maybe it was with um, uh, with someone who did articleship uh, in Hari Bhakti and Co. You know, yeah. and I was just amazed. You know, the the uh, the man had grown uh, old. Clearly, age had caught up with him, and uh, that, that's because of the the body that we all uh, uh, imbibe, right? But clearly, the spirit hadn't broken. He was still sitting on a chair. There were people uh, who were who had surrounded him, yeah. and it was so wonderful to see. And uh, the fact that you said right that hard work never killed anyone, I I totally subscribe to. Uh, to that view and in fact i think one of the things that we keep talking about in our own organizations is the fact that you know people talk about this work life balance so we keep telling them is work not a part of life i mean why do you say that work is outside of outside of the life that you live right and the moment you make that distinction between work and life that's where all the problems uh, begin to come you know so beautifully put that uh, hard work uh, never killed uh, anyone and the fact that you have to give yourself complete, completely to the community have a high moral compass. Can't agree with you uh, more, Salish Bhai, and what a start to the podcast. Incidentally, I also noticed that uh, you you did a stint with A. Ferguson and Co. And uh, you you had a fantastic mentor uh, at A. a. Ferguson. And uh, let me tell you, I also started my journey at AFF, Salish uh, Bhai, like you. Uh, you were on the management consulting side, but I was on the audit side. But some of the lessons at AFF, I still uh, uh, carry to this day. And I'm sure... That taught you a lot. I must, I must correct that, Deepak. I was given the job by Prakash Bhupatkar at AF Ferguson Consulting. But right. that year, my dad became the president of the Indian Merchants Chamber. And he said that you now need to become the virtual CEO of Hari Bhakti and Company. So my first job in life instead of working with A.F. Ferguson, was to be CEO of Hari Bhakti and Company at age 21. Wow, that's even better. 
and I was asked to sink or swim. And he literally, you know, just left me to learn and left me to interact with everybody around. And uh, I survived that. And then he kept his word, which was that he would send me to a large accounting firm. So that's, he kept his promise. And after a series of interviews with many past presidents, I remember Mr. Pesi Nariulwala, Mr. A.C. Chakrabarti, all of them interviewed me. And I went in 1979 to the Chicago office of Arthur Young and Company, which is now part of Ernst and Young. So that was the little twist in the story. <laughs> well, I, 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 I certainly didn't know about this. I actually <laughs> thought that you, you had no, a stint at AFF. But Prakash Bhupatkar, in any case, I still consider him to, my, to be my mentor. He was so close to me and uh, he kept interacting with me till, you know, I lost touch with him maybe five, seven years ago. But I, I mm -hmm. tracked him through his New Zealand and all other uh, places that he lived in. <laughs> Super. On a lighter note, uh, Silesh Bhai, I thought I'll take some bragging rights, right? I could go back to people at AFF and tell them that we have a, st a star alumni in the form of Sailesh Bhakti, but looks like uh, AFF actually missed this. Uh, <laughs> okay, so so talking about Arthur and Young, that's, that's very interesting, right? So you almost uh, did a deal with your dad to say that, um, you know, if, if not AFF and if, if you're going to make me the CEO at the age of 21 because you, you have ICI re responsibilities, then uh, you should allow me to do something with a larger firm. So how was that uh, experience? Because uh, as a young professional in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, it wasn't too common for uh, for Indians who went and worked in the US to come back again to India and, and start working here. So you, you kind of bucked the trend even there. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. The first experience at Arthur Young was they put us through a grinding 15-day seminar, if you like, or, you know, training program. And the prize was that whoever came out top of the class would be placed on the audit of McDonald's Corporation. And so that was the first audit that I got. And that learning has stayed with me, is with me right now. The other thing that they did is that those who were part of this uh, you know, pure audit function were put in one of their very wonderful training outfits in West Virginia. And we were supposed to bring about a convergence between the manual way of doing auditing and the IT-enabled audit. So I participated in that while I was at Arthur Young & Company. And it was life-changing, life-altering for me. It set the path for my being what I am. I, I cannot but acknowledge that the learnings that I had in those 14 months were exquisite. I mean, besides McDonald's, I audited some fantastic companies, including John Morrell and Bally Shoes. And I was in the Audit Bureau of Circulations. So all fantastic clients which I was able to work on and learn absolutely 
wonderful lessons on how businesses and one great incident was that in McDonald's we found we had put up a statistical test and we were testing things all across the country statistically we had put a mean minus three standard deviation test and we found actually a couple of instances which were outside that mean plus minus three standard deviations and when we actually reported it all hell broke loose and you know the kind of action that they initiated at that time mcdonald's was rated to be one of the best managed companies in the world it still is but i'm saying at that time it was just at its ascendancy and uh, amazing to see how much they got value from an audit and how much value an auditor could provide that has also stayed with fantastic and and how did you think of bucking the trend sailesh uh, by did i'm sure a, a lot of people who went people who were young like you at that point in time never wanted to return to india unlike today i think i see a lot more people who wanted to who are open to coming back but but what made you change your decision well i think it was my family uh, values uh, my i had a young little daughter i wanted to uh, spend time with her with my wife and we were building our family and so it is it's just family that brought me back and the lure of uh, being an entrepreneur and starting off on my own so i came back and just uh, started innovating and just one by one completely waves upon waves of innovation i participated in led later stage in and that's what made uh, all the difference fantastic you often write and speak about uh, uh, one area sailesh bhai uh, which is technology right and i'm quite fascinated for someone who has t- seen technology evolve in the last 20 years which has coincided with my career right for somebody like you and, and please don't mistake me that i'm uh, that i'm uh, kind of calling you old or something selesh bhai but that's not the case uh, it, it uh, technology clearly came uh, during the latter part of your professional career but you you seem to have taken it taken to it like fish uh, takes to water right so how's that uh, uh, how did that kind of come about uh, and more importantly what what do you think technology is doing to traditional industries right and how can cxos really embrace them to drive innovation and growth what a fantastic question i i must tell you that i stopped learning science in the 8th standard and hmm. so as covid came around i went into a hyper relearning uh, mode and i was spending 14 16 hours every day during covid teaching myself physics chemistry biology uh, and leading up to sustainability and that is when my deep interest in technology got founded because i was so fascinated by what was happening around us in the world uh, and so fascinated that i simply had all the time in the world there was nothing that i could do other than keep learning and going on to webinars and watching content and reading and 
teaching myself because I couldn't even go to a class. It was all online learning, self-learning. And that's how I completely changed the course of everything that I did. I ended my life as an accountant in uh, 2016, I think. And then learned, retaught myself. And then with COVID, I went into this hyper-learning, relearning mode. Uh, and then came out uh, during COVID as the, as India's first certified ESG-ready director. And uh, that is what has kept me going over the last two, three years since, uh, you know, we've all come out of COVID. That's the re reason why you see me uh, so uh, sort of engrossed and embedded in technology. But to give you a sense of how CXO should look at this, three asteroid strikes have hit planet Earth in the last 25 years. First was the rapid adoption of the internet. Today we have more than 5 billion people going up to maybe 5.5-6 billion people on the internet. So the idea that people can collaborate, talk to each other, work with each other, has gone to super scale. The second asteroid strike was the coming in of Web 3.0 after we went through Web 1.0, 2.0. We suddenly moved into the hyper-collaborative uh, era of Web 3.0 and then everything was on the cloud and everything was, uh, you know, compute power was ubiquitous and storage was ubiquitous and so everything was you know costs were falling and then we had the third strike in 2022 jan which was the rapid adoption of ai as chat gpt became uh, the thing that the whole world wanted to embrace in a hurry and so we are seeing that the acceleration that technology causes is very much with us right now. And it is everywhere, in everything, all at once. You know, that wonderful movie uh, with that title, which won the seven Oscars, is so telling. It's just so much there that you just have to embrace it in order to make the best of it. That's how I would like CXOs to react to all of this AI and hyper growth towards quantum and uh, all of the things that are the trending items today. Yeah, and there is also a lesson here, Salish Bhai, from, uh, from what you just said, regardless of where you are and, and who you are, what you're doing, I think uh, uh, there is no stopping when it comes to learning. Uh, I mean, you use those two years of uh, COVID uh, to really reorient yourself to learning about technology. You said that after your eighth standard, this was the first time you started reading or relearning uh, science. So, I mean, hats off to you that you had the inclination and, and the mindset to, to do this. On a more lighter note, uh, Salish, by one of the, uh, if, if you look at the top 10 jobs that are going to be replaced by, uh, by uh, artificial intelligence, accounting is actually top of the list. Yeah. Uh, so in hindsight, it's a it's a it's a great decision for you to have ended your career as an accountant in 2016. <laughs> well, I mean, I just took a halt and took a re restart, if you like, 
But uh, I I love auditing. I love accounting. I'm actually right now trying to disrupt it to make it relevant in the uh, in the new tech space that has been created for accountants and auditors. So we are rewriting the book on auditing. That's what I'm doing right now, aggressively rewriting my audit renaissance book, which I'm now going to create as a living book. Because I find that as soon as you finish writing something, it becomes obsolete. And so you need to keep, uh, keep having a framework to modify it as things change. Brilliant. I'm also going to talk about some of this um, later on in the uh, in the podcast, Salish Bhai. But moving on to the next um, question that I have for you is, you are on the boards of several uh, renowned companies. And uh, with the growing importance of ESG in boardrooms, how is that impacting corporate decision making? And as a board member, how do you reiterate the benefits of ad- adopting ESG principles? And what practical strategies, again, would you recommend for CXOs to improve, to incorporate sustainability into their uh, organizations? Fabulous. I think this is a very interesting question. See, four things have happened simultaneously. First, exponential technologies have begun to converge at such a pace that it is creating completely new unknown pathways to become net positive, which are profitable. See, at one time, this whole conversation of ESG was surrounding the fact that it is a cost. It is difficult. It will not result in stakeholder uh, value enhancement, particularly shareholder value enhancement. Now, all of that has been turned on its head. And if you are net positive, you can have and you know you will have access to technologies that you had never explored before. Let me give you three examples. Municipal waste can now be converted to hydrogen using syngas as a intermediary uh, process, which you get to. Toyota is leapfrogging from the internal combustion engine to hybrid to hydrogen. They don't want to go into the EV path. They want to go straight, leapfrog into hydrogen. And QR codes today, technically, can provide the provenance to every fruit, every mango, every apple. And if the embedded variables are actually uh, made available to whoever can access them legitimately, then you can trace back and forward the entire journey of a fruit. Now, that is where technology has led us. Costs of technology deployment, the number two point, have plummeted. And that has led to collaboration at scale, which I talked about earlier. The third factor that is happening is time is running out. We can see it. Extreme climate events are all around us. They are recurring across the globe. Europe is facing sweltering summer. And there was a very very sad story of a worker in a 
uh, airport who was cleaning planes when you know there was no air conditioning on and how she felt dehydrated and how she went through the whole uh, turmoil of facing these heat waves and finally the world has converged its frameworks and standards of reporting so i was in london uh, earlier last month when they released the sustainability standards 1 and 2 and that is an absolutely new path that the world is chalking out where we are going to converge on frameworks and standards and in 2 years time the world will have a single language of esg so you have the language you have the enablement you have the infrastructure you have the realization and the warnings are coming every day from nature so everybody needs to hear it there is no question about it you know if all of us were to pay for the true costs of the natural capital that we are consuming not a single business on earth can be profitable that is the extent to which we have overused the capabilities of our planet every year we finish using what it naturally can give us sometime towards july right now we have consumed the whole of the earth's capability that's where we are at and because of the confluence of all these factors there is a absolute you see all the latest balance sheets they are all collectors items they all have integrated reporting they all have six capitals being positioned they all have sustainability conversations all reporting to brsr it's just amazing how the corporate uh, reporting has changed dramatic and uh, a follow on question shailesh bhai on this is uh, do you still think this is vanity for most companies not at all it is absolute reality and it is an opportunity that if you lose you you will become uncompetitive because your employees don't want to stay with you if you are not you don't have a green soul your customers don't like you then where are you going to go and in the boards that you sit on how do you you know it's just persuasion you know it's just persuasion total persuasion and passionately talking about it uh, making sure that the message goes through it gets heard and then of course the greatest i think the pivotal moments come when somebody actually says yes i get it and i want to do this and i find that in all the five boards that i public limited listed boards that i sit on there was one person who you know picked up the mantle and said i want to run with this board and that's what made it happen yeah and moving from one uh, one aspect of greed to another uh, selish by uh, this clearly is over exploitation uh, isn't it so human beings clearly wanting more out of uh, out of mother earth uh, not realizing the damage that uh, it is causing to all of us around so from from the environment angle to an angle of fraud mm. where in companies world over are grappling with fraud and uh, they are spending billions of dollars 
at the moment either on fraud mitigation or in most cases once the fraud is committed company most companies don't even know uh, that a fraud has been committed until it is done so can you actually share real life examples i i don't want you to take any names but real life examples of such fraud and some of the strategies that companies are are pursuing for uh, fraud risk mitigation sure meepan this is you know the entire process of auditing is switching from its inside out perspective which was what it was which it is today also largely inside out we all kind of look at internal control systems set up sops do things make sure that and then you test the hell out of the transactions and think that then you're safe what has happened is that you need now an outside in perspective and so you need to turn auditing on its head so what has been experimented with let's create repositories of all cyber crime that has been committed all fraud that has been committed all whistleblower complaints that have come to the fore let's break up these repositories domain wise different <laughs> companies in different domains having different repositories and add to it voluntarily because your data will then remain masked you know you you were kind enough to tell me not to take any instances and this is you know this is i respect that totally the privacy of each person i respect greatly but as a collective as a commons if we can get a repository which tells us what happened what were the causes and what is it that was done in terms of action to actually correct it and then you train all your data with what the repository has gathered through a ml ai process then you will be able to get deviant patterns and deviant instances of things that you need to investigate and thereby mitigate the fraud now this is the way that auditing is going to transform over the next 5 years already it is happening in the highly sophisticated areas of money laundering and uh, international transactions in foreign exchange and all of that so companies have been set up to actually implement the model that i talked about and in india we are we are propounding this and we are pushing this hard and saying that this is the way that we need to transform Uh, all auditing and make it outside in so we we talk about mystery audits we're talking about uh, customer experience auditing we're talking about deviant pattern recognition talking about root cause analysis so the whole vocabulary has changed and because frauds have become so endemic and what are these frauds these frauds take the shape of three big things one a person doesn't realize that he or she is a custodian of the resources that are put in their hands they think that if they own a small percentage of the company and have temporary charge it's theirs that's the fundamental reason why people make the mistake of misusing company's resources that's the root cause The second root cause is that 
the fear of discovery up until very recently was extremely low now that has been heightened because of data convergence the sharing of information by regulatory and enforcement agencies all of that is now happening at scale and people have begun to realize that there is no place to hide but while they are realizing it and trying to correct their steps there's a whole lot of past backlog that we need to tackle and take care so that's the process that we are in and the third thing which is driving all of this is that people have demonstrated clearly that if you follow a path of rectitude good governance great technology use and all of that you can be supremely profitable so the whole set of incentives have changed dramatically and that this whole combination is changing the whole landscape but it's going to become visible only after 3 4 years of very dedicated effort by all of us together got it well said Kalish, why do you, do you still think companies being a little reluctant uh, spending on things like fraud because it's still con- considered to be an audit, uh, isn't it? And companies who haven't faced the brunt are they still looking at it from a cost lens instead of uh, no, saying you know? Not, not at all. I think it's now become a governance issue. And you will you are hearing conversations okay. on this is going bust because the governance was not right and we need to get the governance right you know all these conversations were not there if you if you do a hmm. a, a check of the keywords that were being utilized 6 months ago or maybe uh, a year ago and today you will see that the recurring expression that everybody sort of regressing to is let's get the governance right Okay, so moving on, Sailesh Bai, um, you are someone who is bullish about the India story, and you are going to ask me who isn't, right? <laughs> But in the light of all the developments in the last ten to fifteen years, how do you read these, and what would be your advice to businesses which are already operating in India or those which are waiting to enter India? What should businesses be excited about? What are the key challenges, and is this growth sustainable or is there a lot of talk and hype and do you see a role for public policy uh, in driving this transformation or participating in this transformation oh very good set of uh, issues you have raised and let me just contextualize this in the framework of the three balance sheet advantage that india is experiencing today so we got our macros right we didn't resort during covid to putting cash in the hands of people which is what the us did whether you wanted it or not whether you liked it or not you got 1500 dollars same thing happened in singapore where they just put 500 dollars in everybody's bank account we didn't do that what we did in india was that we ran down our inventory of food grains and actually put food in the stomach of our people who needed it who couldn't get to it and who didn't have the resources to buy it and that was a fundamental leadership strike that india made and that has made 
the entire perception about India transformed. What did that deliver to us? It delivered to us a pathway to fiscal rectitude at the highest levels. It stopped our inflation from being run away. We were already experiencing, uh, you know, something like 4 to 5% inflation. It went up temporarily, of course, and we all suffered the brunt. Inflation is hardest on the poorest sections of society. But we quickly remedied that, and we had a fantastically responsive Reserve Bank of India, which uh, used monetary policy instruments. And what seemed to be blunt instruments have become sharp instruments. And, uh, you know, it's being demonstrated that you can tame inflation with the right mix of fiscal and monetary policy. So there you are. You have the country balance sheet advantage. Then you had the cleanup, the deep cleansing of the NPAs in our banking system. So our banking system had a, a renaissance and a, a revolutionary change. You know, we used to talk about 10% uh, gross NPAs and more in, in some sections of the financial system. Today, anything more than five is frowned upon. And everybody is marching towards uh, bringing it down to uh, acceptable levels of 2-3%. And at a net level, we are all aiming at less than 1%. So this is a transformed banking and financial sector. Technology has done it for us. The policy orientation has done it for us. The uh, change of mindsets has done it for us. A lot of things have happened. And of course, we had a lot of reforms. We had the, uh, the correct kind of laws coming in. We had a very responsive legal framework. All of that happened. And the third thing that has happened is that corporate results as a consequence of these two balance sheets getting rectified are kicking and doing very, very well. This quarter, the corporate results that I have seen are absolutely marvelous. You know, despite the fact that in some cases there might be a there might be a problem about uh, the future outlook in terms of growth being a little uh, unclear. Profits are still rising. And quarterly, everything is just moving up, up, up and away. And this is what is giving me the confidence that our growth momentum is sustainable. And therefore, it is small wonder that the entire world is wanting to look at opportunities arising from our country. And this will continue over the next at least two, three years that I can see. And what is the role that you see, Shailesh Bhai, for um, for public policy? Can people like us participate in that? And how do we... No, no, all of, all of us must, yeah. must try and convey wherever we can that the data flow in the financial system is so phenomenal that your footprint is visible. Whatever you do, your footprint will become visible. And therefore, it is very important to make sure that you stay within the framework of law and you 
stay within the framework of regulatory policy. And regulatory policy, in turn, has to, in tandem, be supportive of the right actions, the right choices, the right ways to actually get to being an exponential organization. And that's what we are supporting in Congo. Fantastic. Well said, Salish Bhai. I think clearly um, you have been uh, at the forefront when it comes to backing the India story. I see you speaking very passionately about this and, and the passion kind of comes through very clearly uh, even in this conversation. So go, moving on to my last question, um, right, which is, uh, which is my favorite and I'm sure I'm going to dig a little bit of the past in this case, Salish Bhai. This yeah. is about Indian firms uh, and specifically the Indian CA firms, right? So while... I think we are seeing the India growth story. On the other hand, I personally do not see too many global Indian firms emerging out. Uh, right. So what is it that Indian firms should do in order to compete globally? There is a lot of consolidation if you look at CPA firms in the US specifically. Private equity making investments, strategic uh, investors coming in, buying out uh, CPA firms. Um, right. So is it a change in regulation uh, that 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 needs to happen no. or what no. is it what, what what or is it a change in mindset what what, what is stopping us <laughs> it's a change in your definition that you need to make it's indians who are driving the accounting profession you are talking about an indian firm i talk about indians you look at any firm anywhere in the world accounting consulting medical, whatever, Consul particularly consulting and accounting and auditing, all being driven by Indians. You just take a look at it. We are so definitionally uh, warped around the idea that the multinationals should have an Indian origin or an Indian name. That is not important. What is important is that Indians are influential. Across the board, why is our, why did our CAD reach 0.2% in March? Because of our service exports. What is happening to all the big four firms and all the consulting firms? They are creating what they call centers of excellence, delivery centers and all of that in India at scale. IBM kept it such a well-guarded secret that they had reached 100,000 people employed from 20 years ago. And now everybody, every one of them is more than 100,000, 200,000 Indians working for global clients. Where is that being counted? Why are we definitionally so narrow-minded? Let's think about Indians driving the professions. How does it matter what that firm is called? It makes no difference. What counts is where is our contribution being felt? Where is it visible? Where is it effective? We need to change this narrative. We need to change the conversation. We are really at the top. We need to believe that. That's what the world is recognizing. So why, why would a Deloitte announce that we are going to hire some 400,000 people or whatever it is, you know, some crazy numbers? 
uh, all of them are announcing massive rise in number of people that they are recruiting. So, and this is stemming from the fact that there is no place on earth where such high quality professional resources in accounting, auditing, engineering, uh, consulting, MBAs, we now have what, 25 IIMs or something like that. Last count, I mean I lose count because every day a new IIM is announced. We now have Niti being converted into an IIM. So, I mean we are, we are producing high quality talent at scale and all that talent is getting deployed and we should marvel at that. Right. Silish, I completely agree with the fact that we have to, find, we have to be uh, proud of the fact uh, that the, the kind of talent that India is producing is phenomenal. Uh, my, my question here was around, um, if you look at IT services as an industry, you've got a TCS, you've got an Infosys, a Tech Mahindra to talk about, right? But if you look at consulting specifically, uh, you have all these multinational consulting accounting firms in uh, operating out of India. Why is there no, you know, native Indian firm, uh, which is competing today at global scale? I mean, that's the question uh, th that I had. I think talent wise, you're absolutely right. I mean, phenomenal talent, but what is stopping that talent from institutionalizing? Well, it, it is getting institutionalized in a house, which is not, which does not have an Indian name, but it's all Indian. So how does it matter what the name of the house is? You know, it's like saying, why is the name of this building not uh, Casablanca? Why is it, you know, Hari Nivas, <laughs> for example? How does it matter? Okay. So your own experience, um, Shailesh Bhai, of working with Moore's Roland or a BDO or a Baker Tilly, if... Uh, what are your learnings specifically around uh, the do's and don'ts of, of dealing with such global firms? What should one No, I uh, think it is mind? very important to have continuous interaction with global mind frames, global people, global resources, global colleagues. It's very valuable. It, you don't know what rubs off and how that osmosis actually transforms you. And so it is very valuable to uh, embrace that global approach to everything in life. Now today I'm not, you know, competing for anything, but all my models are surrounding uh, young people who want to establish a global business. So for example, the we are now foraying into a joint venture with a Dutch company, which is not into accounting, auditing, consulting. It is into a sustainability kind of idea. And I know that this is the kind of way in which collaborations globally are going to happen. And what made me comfortable in sharing everything with the global counterpart? It was my experience and learning through all these firms that I've had the privilege and to lead or to work in. And that is what all of us should focus our minds on. How do we extract best practices? How do we extract great learnings? How do we 
parlay that into becoming globally uh, a great communicator, becoming, uh, you know, convincing about the fact that India is the place where uh, people ought to be. Whatever may be your objective, it's so important to get all of this right. And the global uh, kind of approach that you get by working in all these uh, multinational companies, it just exposes you to what there is in the world. Amazing, Salish Bhai. I, I think we have come, uh, we have run out of time. Otherwise, I would have just continued this conversation, including including the topic around the CA firms. Though um, I had uh, slightly different views, but, but I get your viewpoint, right? You're saying that Indians, wherever they are, regardless of which country uh, they are in, which company they are in, they are, they are Indians and they are really? the ones who are driving the profession. So while I think we may uh, we may have slightly different points of view, I think I, I completely get what you're trying to say uh, on that matter, Salish Bhai. And your experience of working with some of these global guys, uh, whether it's BDO or Baker Tilly with, you, with whom you had uh, uh, fairly successful uh, partnerships, um, <clears throat> can't agree with you more on uh, extracting the best practices uh, and, and becoming more globally relevant, right? Utilizing them to become globally more relevant. And it has been a phenomenal uh, conversation, Salish Bhai. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and experiences with us today. And it has been a pleasure having you on the show. I'm going to sum it up, Salish Bhai. Uh, we, we actually discussed a range of topics today, including your father's influence in uh, building Haribakti and Co. And the lessons that you learned from him. We also touched upon your decision to return to India after working in the US. Albert, it was for family reasons, but but I'm sure it was not it was not an easy uh, decision considering peer pressure, specifically at that point in time, which was not a common choice. Furthermore, we also explored the impact of technology on um, on, in, on on businesses in general, and how CXOs can embrace these advancements to drive innovation and growth. Uh, your expertise and passion in the field of ESG was also highlighted it came, it came through very clearly and we also gained insights into how corporate decision making is influenced by ESG principles and the strategies to incorporate sustainability into organizations. Additionally, we also delved into the topic of fraud risk mitigation uh, where you shared real life examples and actionable strategies pursued by companies. We then shifted our focus to the India story discussing the developments in the past decade. You spoke about the, uh, the three balance sheet impact the potential for sustained growth. The role of public policy in driving transformation uh, was also uh, discussed during uh, the podcast. Finally, we, we spoke about the global competitiveness of Indian CA firms and Indians in general, and your experience with, uh, with having forged uh, successful partnerships with international firms, provided valuable insights into the do's and don'ts of, of dealing with such firms. Once again, thank you, Sailesh Bhai, for joining us today and sharing your wisdom. Uh, we appreciate your time and valuable insights. And before we let you go, any parting thoughts, uh, Sailesh Bhai? No, I'm very impressed by the way you conducted this conversation, Deepak. It brought out so much that I had not prepared or planned to say. It was, as you rightly put, naturally free-flowing. And so the preparation that you all did and the way you set it up, all very exemplary. This is global best practice right here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eilish. You are always kind. Thank you so much for this.
never miss an episode subscribe to wisdom today and be part of our growing community of wisdom seekers let's unlock the profound secrets of life together see you next time